residential lighting specialist to our residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. Today I'm joined by Noah Kaplan, founder and CEO of Leon Speakers in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Noah is a bit of a legend in the Cedia professional installation channel, but he is also one of the most creative people in the business. It's been a while since we've chatted, well, you know, because of the global pandemic and all, so I thought it'd be a great time to catch up and see what's going on at Leon up the road from me here in the Midwest. Noah, thanks for joining us today. Jeremy, so nice to see you, at least like this. Thanks for the super kind introduction, all too kind. And it's a pleasure to be here today on Residential Tech. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, your, your legend, which is a bit of a nightlife legend uh, at different events, uh, <laughs> precedes you because yesterday you did have a virtual version of that, is that correct? That was a really cool event that just kind of came together quickly. We did a virtual beer tasting where we ship beer to some of the best dealers in the country, um, known as the Guild Group. Hmm. Super creative, incredible group of dealers that share a common ethos, ship them brand new fresh beers that we've been making at the brewery. Nice. And uh, we had a virtual tasting, which went really well and really long. So last night, yes, it was a late night. I remember going <laughs> to bed well into the AMs. See, and I've been worried about you with your, uh, your extroverted personality being sort of quarantined <laughs> and you figured, figured out a way to be safe, but yet uh, still have a little bit of a party uh, yeah. late into the night with your, with your uh, industry friends. That's well, awesome. Well, what's cool is I noticed even early on that, you know, all of us were connecting with all of our friends early on and reconnecting with friends. And I looked back at some of the old pictures that I would snap at the screen. And I think I went through like three or four personas. <laughs> I mean, okay. there were certain times where I was like, was I wearing a costume for that <laughs> thing? Or what, what was going on there? Uh -huh. So, you know, and now you should see what I'm, I'm working in now. I'm trying to work on like, what does life look like now? And so I'm right now working on like an upright standing version of Ooh. a Zoom station because I'm very jittery. I don't like sitting down a lot. I, this is the first time I've ever sat at a desk for this amount of time. Oh, I can desk. imagine. Yeah, you know, you've been to our place. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, you're 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 an energetic dude, so I, I totally get it. Um, and, and and speaking of which, I was there, and I one of my great memories just a couple falls ago was was taking a trip up to Ann Arbor. Um, it was a I think it was a fall break for my kids, uh, so they had mm -hmm. a couple of days off from school. So we wanted we love Michigan. We hadn't been to Ann Arbor, heard great things uh, about the college town, and I knew that if I was there, I had to see you guys, Thanks. and so. You know, we we had we had a little tour with you, but what the the great thing was was that you gave the tour to my kids, and yeah. I, I just thought that was amazing. You, I videoed the whole thing just because I needed to look like mm -hmm. I was doing something important. <laughs> um, but you 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 gave the kids like full attention, didn't talk down to them. You gave them you know the, un, the ex explanation of what you did in a way that was interesting to them. They still wear the shirts that they got there. You know, they they they're like. Probably that's their only connection to what I do is having the tour of your facility. I mean, what, how important is it that you have that kind of a company culture? I know now it's hard because it's all virtual, but in the in the normal days, what what how much time did it take to kind of cultivate that feeling of, of bringing people in and having it different than other places? Well, I want to address first of all going back. Um, I 
having you and your family, your daughters, that was so amazing. It's one of those, I, I love when kids come into tour because I think in, it, I don't remember looking back in my life, a time when I actually got to go and see what any business does. Hmm. You know, my father was a doctor. I went to his office every now and then. You don't really get an, it's not a tour, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, so even as a young person, you really had no visuals into what it's like to run a business. Is it, what does a business look like? What do the workers look like? Um, what does a craftsman shop look like? And so to me, it's so important when we bring kids in, they're so creative and they have so many, you know, we have lots of visual cues all around that kind of represent our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, we have art and artifacts and music playing. And I remember she was looking at all these strange objects that we have, you know, vintage radios and asking amazing questions. What is this? Mm -hmm. and, and it sort of reminds you and prompts you like, oh yeah, this is why we need to reintroduce people into how companies work at an early age. And for me, it's like one of the highlights before COVID, I was doing probably three to five tours a week at mm. least. And it always energizes me and it gives me a connection to the people I'm working with, but it also keeps everything moving for me. So even now I'm always rearranging the walls, looking for new strange objects. I should bring some in that I just found I'm really into very specific early vintage objects right now. Um, that I could show you later if I could run right over there. <laughs> but um, the the best part about the experience from a tour perspective is, you know, we make a lot of products and we've been making products for 20 years. And I think until you come here, you don't really see why we're making the products. And so when you walk the halls of Leon, I mean, everybody at Leon, our number one core value is creativity. So most of the people that are working here are artists and engineers and musicians and craftspeople. Everyone's super curious and everyone's also multidisciplinary. So it's not like someone who's answering the phone is somebody who was born to just answer phones. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, I believe that everybody should have passions and side interests and that work is not your only defining character. Characteristic, you know, you have to have a life outside of work and you have to bring that life inside. So we also like people to show what is their personality about. Mm -hmm. And so my personality, you know, I'm obsessed with collecting vintage artifacts, you know, from 1880 all the way up to 1980. You know, I love the vintage boom boxes as much as I love those strange uh, magic lanterns and psyopticons and strange objects that we were making in the 1800s that sort sure. of formed how this industry was born. And I think the culture comes from what showing people what you love. You know, mm. so there's a lot of fancy ways that companies talk about culture and how you gain culture. And I think culture only comes from drive and desire and really being able to express yourself and be clear about what you're expressing. You know, so at Leon, everything that's here is sort of an expression of our vision, which is the mixture and the intersection between art and audio and design and technology. And behind the scenes of all that, the real one for me is how business and bohemia mix. Okay, what's that mean? Well, business and bohemia to me, like I was an artist that happened to start a business. It sure. wasn't something, I, I was born, I was always born as an artist. I was a working artist. And so I started designing products. I just started designing things. I never expected to start a business. Um, and no one really talks about that. So when we talk about mixing business with Bohemia, I still like to live artist life. So to me, mm -hmm. this entire place is a studio. It's a craftsman house. It's where we're making things. And ultimately, my 
greatest joy and my greatest love in the world is to, to create. Mm -hmm. And so to me, creativity is our number one core value. And creativity to me is, a, is an action word, right? It's creativity yeah. to me means create. Create your face off. Never stop. Be prolific. Never stop trying. Never stop trying to get better. And so everything that we find, all the objects in the building and on the walls and all the people here represent everything that we represent as a business, which is about creating stuff that has to do with art and audio and design. And there's just so much to do. And now, of course, it's a little quiet around here. Sure. But by no means have we stopped digging into the culture and digging into how we could change and get better every single day. So how do you put that in a nutshell when you're talking to somebody you've never met and they ask you, what, what is your company? You know, cause yeah, I, you know, in a press release, you say that you're, you're a, um, you're a soundbar company maybe, but that doesn't even come close. And it, like, I, I forgot about that actually. I don't even think of Thank your company you. as a soundbar company, but that was a big part of what you did for a while was crafting that were artistic around soundbars. So they blended into the environment or became a, a little art piece in the, in the home. And then you came up with like wall sculptures and things. Mm -hmm. it's all back to audio though, right? That's their main, main focus. It, it's, it's all steeped in, in, in audio and in design and in bringing really high end custom audio into normal places in your house. Yeah. So I always thought about design, you know, being a musician, which is what I did at night. I was full-time mm. artist during the day, played music by night. Um, I saw designing for audio changing. And so we always designed around objects or products that had natural placement in a room where you'd want sound, like in front of a screen. Right. So, right, when we're trying to describe what we do, our thing is more about we take a creative approach towards designing audio products. Okay. Right. So I didn't like when, you know, when flat screen TVs came out, I was really interested in what that was going to do to the industry as a whole. And this was very early on. This is right out of college. And this was maybe you know, late 90s, mid 90s when I started looking at this. But at that time we were all studio musicians and we were mostly building studio monitors. Mm. So we learned a lot about audio. We learned what we loved in terms of tonality and sound. We also learned what we hated. Mm. And what I really didn't like was sort of the lack, when we were trying to buy stuff at this time is, you know, late, late nineties, not a great time for design. Everything had kind of moved overseas. Um, a lot of just standard, like watch this. If I was to mention the word speakers, and I do this in a lot of talks, like think about what you see in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that everybody is seeing those same black little boxes that mm -hmm. we call speakers. And to me, that's like just not where we can go with this. It's so, it's so rudimentary. And to me, music is such an important part of your personality. I want to transform and work on that forever. You know, what can it look like? Where can we place sound? So it's more about an approach but still, we make high-end custom audio products for luxury and residential spaces. That's sort of what we do. Yeah, Why yeah. we do it will never change. You know, our vision has always been the same. And um, that vision is backed up by the mission of Leon, which is balanced by design. So it's not necessarily about speakers, our approach. It's okay. about your life and what you're doing and what is the best possible way to approach a situation. And actually, we love problem solving. Right. So balanced by design, the reason we created a soundbar, because when I was looking at possibility, possible ways to make a television work well or look good, people used to put big speakers around the TV and then they'd have a clunky center channel underneath it. 
And in New York, where we were designing at the time, mostly it was New York City, products from New York City was, you know, people were ripping out those gigantic CRT televisions and they'd have these enormous gaps and spaces in their cabinetry. Yeah. And I started getting calls at a very, and we'll get back into the whole history of how that all happened. But most of the time, it's about streamlining the design, understanding the science, and then designing into that solution set. So yeah, it's hard to describe to anybody exactly what we do. Right. But we talk about it like the most boiled down way is, you know, we try to add sound and style to your space, period. Nice. So let's back up then and talk about, you know, a little bit about your upbringing. You were just an artistic kid growing up. Your dad's a doctor. You, You aren't you're a Jewish kid. You didn't get pushed into being a doctor or a lawyer somehow. He, he, mm-hmm. Your parents were open-minded enough to say, this is an artistic kid. Let's let him be an artist. Is that, yeah. is that kind of how it goes or did you just fight it? <laughs> it was, I, it was interesting. I think I was very lucky at, a, at an early age to have a thing. You know, you always hope your kid or your has a thing. I was always, you know, I was born as an artist, I believe, you know, I didn't, I didn't try, I didn't know. I was, and a working artist, you know, my, my belief is, and I was lucky to have talent at it. At a very early age, I was in the PACE program. And so it was, my parents believed in it and they're super creatives as well. You know, my father is a folk artist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He, he has a show up right now at the University of Michigan at 79 years old. He has his first solo exhibition, nice. which is such like an amazing point for me to see as his son being, you know, a middle-aged guy now. Uh, you know so proud to see him highlighting his work his work always mesmerized me I mean so folky and free me I was a truly studied artist you know I studied art for so long in art history and I studied with amazing people and teachers you know I learned traditional art from anatomy up you know Mm. all the bones all the skeletal muscles how they all relate to your face how to build a portrait how to build a scene how to compose Um, and a lot of people you know it's best to never learn that Hmm. And a lot of time, you know, Picasso always talks about how do you unlearn that? Sure. So yeah, from an early age, they accepted me as an artist and I worked hard as an artist. So, you know, I even from, you know, doing commercial and selling art since I've been 14 or 15 years old. Hmm. Um, And how I got here is the more bizarre story. Okay. (laughs) You know, upbringing wise, because I also went to University of Michigan for art school, but I was a scholar athlete. I loved, you know, I was a wrestler didn't wrestle at the U of M, but I was a scholar athlete from before. So I always like to be fit for mm. the job because to me, art is physical too. I did, I now do live art, which you've seen me do live paintings. Yes. But the reason I got into this whole thing was because music was always the power or the fuel to the whole fire. Okay. And, and, um, and yeah. And so, so, so getting up to speed with Leon then, and you're, you're at the University of Michigan, you were mm-hmm. in New York. Um, prior to that, is that that's where you grew up, right? Yep, I grew up in Merrick, Long Island, and okay. uh, born in Manhattan. And then we had—I mean, it was just a, a really interesting time to be. And I'll—I'll I'll explain that later. But yeah, when I went to U of M, there was so much transitional technology going on. I started meeting so many engineers. I started playing music with people. I start—I became—I switched from being a music fan to be to start learning to play guitar and music. Um, and I, we met like an incredibly talented group of people at the time. So Leon started to form, but it was a really organic form. Okay. 
it was like, uh, it t just like today, it was a group of artists and musicians. We had houses together. We had three houses next to each other. We had like more recording gear than you could ever imagine. And we were building guitars. We had a pirate radio station. We were kind of just a renegade group of freaks. Um, and we got completely obsessed with everything sound. Okay. Um, and it was making music. It was recording strange sounds, interviewing people. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you ever see what a pirate radio station looks like or how it runs, but, you know, we had a PVC tube that was on top of our house. Oh, my God. That was like 30 feet. We got in trouble for it, you know. <laughs> um, I, had two, I had two brilliant partners who were my business partners at the time, and they were also similar. Very different times, but, um, yeah, so from there, we just started designing stuff very quickly at an early age. And I actually worked with the University of Michigan to formulate the business plan for Leon speakers, which was all about creating sound for these new things called flat panel TVs. Okay. Why that? I, can't, I don't even remember uh -huh. why we were so, I think I met Kevin Zaro from Marantz at our studio. Hmm. You know, we had a sound studio downtown Ann Arbor after college. I stayed and I actually got a job drawing portraits for the university of Michigan. I had to draw um, all the scholar athletes of, throughout history of University of Michigan. And that's why I actually stayed in Ann Arbor. Okay. So I, that is one of the root causes why I stayed in, in Michigan at all. Because I was hoping, obviously, to get back to New York City, which yeah. I loved as an artist, because I was still a full-blown, freakishly obsessed artist at that time. Um, and so I got that commission. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to stay. I had this group of friends. We were playing music. We had a band at the time called The Still. My brother was in the band. Um, and honestly, this whole whirlwind of stuff is just the same now. It just kept growing into a larger snowball, <laughs> meeting more and more people, more engineers, and really any design opportunity that came to us, we jumped on it. Okay. You know, one of our first designs that we created was called Picture Sound in 1995. This is just us drawing, like how I still draw, you know, every single drawing this day is just still drawn. Yeah. On, you know, I, and... And uh, we actually brought it to life and we filed patents on it and we got a studio. We started making stuff and we learned from a frame maker how to make skinny speakers. And we found, learned from the Germans how to make thin speakers. And we learned from the French how to find awesome tweeters and parts and components. And we learned from a guy from MIT who we met um, who worked with Amir Bose how to design speakers. Wow. And so to me, I'm my luck has to do with um, an approach also, which is like, I like to just be naive. I don't, I like to meet experts. I, I don't need to be the expert of all the things. I like to dig in as deep as possible. My nature is to get obsessed. And so I, I completely got obsessed with designing speakers and audio. And my first thing I designed as a group together was this picture sound product. We even filed the patents with hand drawings. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and they were, the one thing we learned was that, you know, flat panel speakers, or something that you can completely you can do. You can do it very, you know, there was a lot of technology to be able to make thin speakers. Okay. Wasn't a whole lot of technology to make it implementable, but really bizarre history, all that. Yeah, so, so just briefly, and then, then I need to go to a break, but what, what's, the, uh, what's the actual product then for that first, first uh, picture speaker? What's it look like? 
the first product looked a lot like our Ente pieces now, which was uh, a flat panel speaker that had interchangeable art that was all silk screened or custom printed. Okay. Um, it was a little bit ahead of its time. And I don't think we realized that at the time, I didn't even know what a dealer was. Uh-huh. You know, so I'm talking now about this industry. I didn't know about industry. I was just I'm like, oh, this is cool. Let's make this. Let's make a lot of this. Right, right. And then when we first heard about a trade show, you know, so our first products that we rolled out were called Picture Sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still have them around. People still call and ask about them oh my God. Uh, often. And, and that led to us making flat panel speakers for TVs, ultimately for a call from big companies like Marantz and Fujitsu to design speakers for their displays at the time okay all right well, well we cut to a break and uh yeah yeah so so we will uh continue our conversation with noah kaplan here in a minute but uh, first a quick word from our sponsor thank you for listening to this episode of residential tech talks today's show is brought to you by why reboot why reboot specializes in creating commercial grade networks that address the demand of advanced control and automation technologies for residential commercial and luxury marine environments why reboot systems are comprised of the best gear in the industry including the Paramount Access Point Mount, developed for integrators and interior designers. To learn more, go to whyreboot.com and accesspointmount.com. Welcome back. I'm talking to Noah Kaplan at Leon Speakers. So, Noah, um, we're, we were talking about your first products, and, and then, you know, you, you get, get rolling, you finally you go to Acedia. What was that like for, for a company that had no idea that this, this interest, industry even existed? <laughs> that is an amazing question. If I showed you the picture, first of all, I had dreadlocks about four foot down my back. I don't, I didn't meet you then because I yeah, remember that. Yeah, you did not that. meet me then. I did not look like this old guy. Um, I brought my friend from the Bronx, Frankie, and I brought, uh, we, we built this handmade setup. We drove there with me, Jeff Gordon, my business partner at the time, and Frankie, who was a really good salesperson and designer. And what year is this? This is 97, maybe 98, 99. I don't even, I don't, I'm which, not good with time. Which before. city was it? It was Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah. So we drove up to the RCA dome. We built all this stuff out of doors. We signed up for the show. We had never been to a trade show. I can't even believe you asked this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry for being wordy too, but it was, it's hysterical. Like we literally got in a van, packed up all this stuff and we drove there. Not no, And we show up at this gigantic stadium and we're like <laughs> what the hell <laughs> so yeah. we drive up to the door and we just start unloading the van and all these union guys are like yo stop 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 and we're like yo what <laughs> like we got kind of mad you know and they're like uh -huh. you can't unpack your stuff we're like what yeah we can't unpack they're like yeah you there's you have to pay drainage and all. we're like what so i remember being so mad that we had to pay somebody to our booth we could see it and we had to pay them like <laughs> i think that's an experience by uh, so many manufacturers and God, so many yeah. industries it just yeah but we were so young we were all in our early 20 i mean i was maybe 23 or 20 you know so it was beyond bizarre for me yeah um, i just had no clue what i was doing um and then when we show up we're next to like microsoft you know, like, they had built like a castle with 900 rooms and there's people running around in corporate outfits. And, and I remember we have this bizarre little booth right next to him with all these weird art speakers. Uh -huh. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, it, we were in like one of those random areas that just, we got lucky. A lot of people were like, who are you guys? And what yeah. the hell are you doing here? And the truth is we didn't know. Yeah. 
Well, I remember it, it was funny. It, it was definitely past your your uh, your hair phase there with the with the dreads. But uh, a salesperson on my on my magazine asking me what I thought of you guys. I'm like, I don't know what to think of those guys yet. <laughs> you guys are just so hyperkinetic and like scared me as an introvert. I'm like, I don't know. They're they're just like all over the place. But then you know you settle in. You got this great ad campaign, and you start really like creating an image, you know, that, and, and, and reputation that was really cool. So, um, and then it took me a while to be able to meet you and get to know you, but, uh, but, uh, what, what, um, would you say were, were some of the early successes for the company that got you sort of established in this industry that you didn't really even know about? I, I think we, I think it goes back to the curiosity of like, you know, the approach was, uh, it was kind of naive, frankly. And I realized at a certain point that asking what people need was the way to figure out what we should do. Mm-hmm. So I was never one of those people who was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And we, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm just not ego driven, but in that way, when it comes to the audio products, you know, um, I really just like, I like being a commissioned artist. I was a commissioned artist by trade. So to me, um, the same persona came for audio. So I learned how to ask questions like to the dealers or the people who are asking questions. Well, this is what we have, but is it, are you interested in this? Yeah. So it wasn't trying to, I never was trying to pitch anybody. It was just kind of trying to learn from them what they wanted. And I really feel like the dealers directed us into what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I could tell you um, a dealer in New York city where we brought picture sound there, pivotal moment. We brought picture sound, like literally drove to New York city. Like we used to with the band we were there all the time. And, go into like a fancy store, one of the top end stores, I won't name them. Okay. And we showed him the picture sound product. And he kind of looks at it and he's kind of like, he looks at us, he's like, well, that's the dumbest <laughs> blanking product I've ever seen. Because <laughs> what, I can see where you can go with this. I'm like, say more, you know? So we just kind of listened and listened. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we said, but look, there's a flat panel TV up in your, store and at that time these were very expensive things yeah they were mostly selling on the coast they're twenty five thousand fifty thousand dollar objects sure well like look all these towers and giant speakers you have I'm like they're going on the wall that everything's going to change and he actually gave us a shot and he said look i these other picture things not for me hmm. he's like but if you could make it work with this tv and make that sound on the tv better you might have something so we literally went back to ann arbor and scrapped the plans you know, so you, like, so you kind of you kind of evolved into having you're framing up the whole thing. You get you're putting the TV. And it's almost back to what you're saying with those cabinets that no longer fit a tube TV, and you like fill the space with something. But now you're creating the frame. You're putting the speakers in there along the sides or below, and you've got the TV inside, and it becomes like a furniture piece on the wall as opposed to just this piece of electronics. Well, what's interesting is that what I, what I noticed is, as a designer, too, because I've always loved industrial design and product and furniture design, um, is that we did something really weird as an industry. If you look back at American history, starting from companies like RCA, Victrola, um, all the early, Philco, all these early companies, they were amazing technology designers. Hmm. You know, a Philco TV, and we talk about this, like you remember, I remember talking to your daughter about this. You know, when she, the Philco TV that's right at the front of our place, you know, you look at it, it's a beautiful object in itself. Mm-hmm. It had a beautiful speaker on the bottom. It has an amplifier built into it. It's got speakers built into it. It has wireless radio and mm-hmm. tune in. 
it's a beautiful screen, a beautiful image, a CRT, it's all handmade. And what we did was we kind of blew all those pieces and parts apart over the course of the last 40 or 50 years. Yeah. You know, this is when we lost track of craftsmanship. I believe we lost track of design. We moved, you know, from custom markets to mass markets, which is, you know, I'm not, I know why. And it's good, you know, it's because we love to consume media in this country and we need to do it at mass. But there was a way even back then to consume it with style. And so I always felt like my job was to put everything back together and make it look cohesive and normal and make you feel like you can live with it. Because if you even look at an object, like right now we're talking on these things that to me still don't look good at all. I love the look of an apple, but I'm like, that's a good first step. You know, what else can we do to make this better? Um, Americans look at screens all the time. So it's a focal point in your house. In fact, it's probably the focal point of the house. Like it's not a fireplace anymore. Yeah. So the way I meander into design is just by being like, whoa, that's not that cool. You know, um, even when I see how a TV was hanging on the wall back then, I used to use the speakers just to hide the ugly sides that you would see Mm. all these brackets and wires and blinky lights behind the, and just no other appliances or objects work that way. Yeah. So actually I think the biggest evolution, one of the biggest problems is putting technology on a wall. Um, It causes a lot of issues. So you're going to see some new things coming out soon because just like we were thinking about what was happening back then when things were going on the wall, I'm starting to think about new thoughts. How can we make things more artistic? Mm-hmm. Where are people hanging out? Screens have moved. We're watching screens in front of our face. We're here, there. We're, we're in the gym. Where are the new applications? And on the commercial side, we've already desi- started designing a gigantic palette of new products that are for what I'm talking about now. You know, stand-up video conferencing, walking mm-hmm. around, huddle spaces, speakers and sculptures that can hang over your head, um, you know, integrated objects. And so integrated objects were like normal. Back in the, even if you think about a boom box, it's like a component rack with some speakers attached to it and a handle. Right. You know, and it makes sense. And I felt like we went from making sense um, as an industry to really people start not, not get it anymore. So, you, I don't so want to say that. in terms of uh, what you're currently, I mean, because your, your latest product introduction sort of tagged off of, uh, of the, the frame TV, which was such a successful and beautiful product still, still is a thing hanging on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's still clearly a TV, but when you turn it on, you make it into a picture. Um, yeah. it, ma- it makes art, which is great. And it's yeah. so thin, it, it's hard to even realize it's not a TV. And so you, you came up with a great uh, pairing with the speaker below, right? Oh so, yeah. So that's still in the old, older way of thinking, but this new thing that you're talking about is more to do with the Zoom, Zoomification of our lives right now. Is that what you're saying or? There's two angles that we're working on. One is kind of like the furniture angle when it comes to, like, I love the frame TV. We just came out with frame bar. Yeah. I love the frame TV as just a beautiful picture, like a beautiful TV. It's just so clean and it's flush against the wall. I always wanted our speakers to be clean and flush against the wall, kind of a Norwegian style, you know, simple where you get to choose the wood, choose your fabric and make a speaker that you're not embarrassed to see. Yeah. And that's what happened really when I think, you know, the reason why we created architectural speakers was in-ceiling speakers because it was a reaction to people not liking how they looked in their Mm -hmm. homes, you know, and we don't talk about that a lot, right? They're invisible speakers, very cool. Um, But what what else in your house is invisible? 
you know, as a designer, I don't want to design invisible that much. Mm, yeah. You know, I want you to be proud of what you own, you know? So when we're designing for a TV, you know, if, if it's going to be a soundbar, we just came out with another product called Denza, which is short, obviously a thin credenza that hangs on your wall. Mm-hmm. We just want to create things that you're, that you could look at that complement what you're looking at or contrast what you're looking at. Okay. Contrast is harder to understand if you're not a designer, you know, or, or an art person, but you know, sometimes right now it could be built to match with is calm. You know, it allows you to look, we want you to focus on the image. You don't, you know, when you're watching TV, you don't want to be thinking about the things around you. Mm-hmm. That's why I always liked everything to be lean, clean, perfect, right on your TV. No shiny things, no logos, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Devoid of distraction. And then I wanted to add the style back because I was like, where's the natural, where's the natural elements going to be brought into? So the edge media frame, for instance, you know, now you get to choose your sound, you get to choose your fabric and you get to choose your frame style. Mm -hmm. So again, what we're trying to do is just create the illusion of simplicity, even though that's kind of not what we have right now. You know, you need what, 25 apps to make the thing run a box full of like remote (laughs) controls that you have to throw in the garbage. Um, and then when it comes to the other products, they are um, really about creating new telephones, right? This is a telephone. And so to me, I'm like, what is a cool, like, what's that look like? Mm-hmm. What does the modern phone booth look like? And you see in commercial, a lot of people taking a stab at this. But for me, I'm actually starting to really embrace this kind of time travel, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. so I'm like I want to make this great now I like this style I like how this is going like it was great to travel for thousands of days in my life <laughs> but it's also great to kind of like sit down and draw again yeah and, yeah and, and hang out with you like this you know sure and so I'm trying to lean into it and I know a lot of people it's fatiguing it's annoying it's hard oh, yeah. those are great problems for a designer mm-hmm. how do we make it less fatiguing less annoying more fun and that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in designing for where people are. Right. Right. Good. Good. Something to look forward to for sure. And um, I know we've touched on, on the uh, global pandemic and, um, you know, changes with COVID just in general, but um, are you, are you finding that you're able to connect this virtual way still with your dealers? You did your, your beer tasting, which is a great idea. Um, you're not at, the different trade shows you're not at the buying groups um so so what's that new world been like for you as a business owner as a manufacturer you know i think that it, it it's been so interesting talking to people in a new way yeah for me uh it's completely moved away from talks about products or pitching products or things and i think people know what leon stands for they know what we do we're gonna they'll get the information they need if I'm really excited about something, like I will call a person. I'm not going to call and say like, Hey, check out this new thing. It's going to be like, Hey, what are you doing? What do you need from me? You know, cause you realize how deep the partnership is between you and your friends and customers. You know, the customers over 20 years become good friends. Right. And so, you know, having those conversations and digging deeper into like more like, what do you actually do? Who actually are you? What are you into? <laughs> you know, like forget about all this product stuff that we always get so caught up in it. You know, usually when people come to a trade show, the first question they say is, what's new? What's new? Yeah. And um, I learned to not answer that question anymore. Okay. You know, I, there's always going to be new, Leon's, you know, but it's, you know, I want to know, I want to, it's always fun to talk about what's new. I'm not saying I'm pushing that aside, but yeah. um, 
there's a lot of things that we have to rely on as contractors that work together. You know, the new things are always fun. They're shiny. We're always going to talk about them. But the other thing is, you know, how are you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you, you know, how's your business? And so I feel like the conversation became deeper, like learned really a lot about other people's visions and missions and where mm-hmm. they, how they were brought up. Who, who are they? You know, seeing their family in the background, seeing like what I look at behind you, I could learn a lot about you, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's an interesting observation that I picked up too. And you know, you do miss that human connection when you're in person, but you do have an agenda. We're always busy. We're running to the next thing when we're at these events. But here, yeah. it's it's a very like structured intimacy almost. You know, mm-hmm. you're like r- really connecting, and there's fewer distractions. I would think while you're doing it. You know. Yeah, and you know me. I'm like a squirrel. Like you know, I'm <laughs> like what, what you know, like so. It's it's really not. It's pretty good for me to to actually communicate and be calm, and I feel calm. I'm um, yeah. completely miss every as an extreme extrovert. Yeah, my energy doubles triples which might not be a good thing all the time <laughs> in talking to introverts and i will say jeremy that 90 percent of the people i work with are introverts okay um but like yeah like last night we trailed that call for maybe three and a half or four hours wow you know i was walking i was showing things from the curio cab you know like bringing new weird stuff we were pouring drinks together you can't do that and then still learn more about people so yeah um, and then the other thing was how amazing the reaction was here from all of our workers and our team, you know, the team here at Leon, this is a hard job. You know, our thing is we don't take ourselves that seriously, but we take the products that we're sending you seriously. Yeah. Um, And the craftsmen here are, are amazing. And that group during COVID, you know, there was a time when the factory was completely shut down. It was just me and Ethan and Linda in finance uh, at this enormous, you know, 40,000 square feet of barren land. And, Mm -hmm. That was a lot. Uh, well, well, and 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 you knew early on how serious everything was because of your dad. And your tell explain what your dad's background is because I don't think a lot of people know about this. And I found out just a couple of days ago and was amazed. Yeah, my my dad is is an incredible person. He my whole life he's a scientist and a researcher and is a specialist and he was chief of infectious diseases at North Shore University in New York. Um, and he's just a real science, a real scientist. You know, he worked with teams from all over the world, um, including Robert Gallo. Um, and, you know, he went to school, by the way. He went to Cornell with Tony Fauci. They're in the same class. I grew up seeing Tony. I grew up seeing Bob Redfield, the people you see on TV. They're all my dad's age. They're all friends. It's amazing that these guys are still like the height of, and they're such intellectual powerhouses. Yeah. But early on in my life, my father, who's not only an infectious disease doctor, he was a researcher, and they stumbled upon what was to be known as the first version of HIV. You know, so my father um, was collecting all these bloods from all these sick patients, and I remember this so vividly in my childhood. Blood, blood. You know, my dad's. Collect, I don't. He didn't know what was going on with these patients. Mm. Him and a group of other scientists. He kept sending it to Bob Gallo who's an amazing scientist as well and doctor. Um, and they started to identify this. And HIV, of course, they were identifying AIDS. So they all had discovered the AIDS virus. And that really changed the trajectory of all of our lives. Mm. It, AIDS in New York was very, very scary, dangerous, serious. Nobody knew how you got it. It didn't know how you transmitted it. There was so much oppression based on it. 
doctors were getting it from needle sticks. We had friends that had it mm -hmm. early, you know, this was in my dad, we had blood, we, it, in, it was in my refrigerator. Wow. Um, and, you know, so really interesting to be brought up around a, and a lot of sadness and a lot of things that you see today. Yeah. So from an early age, I learned to take things very, you know, when it comes to health and human health and also just like being empathetic and understanding how hard it is when new diseases come up, how long it takes science to catch up to that. Sure. They do, they figure it out and they work forever and it's a tireless, endless thing. Um, so yeah, it's been amazing. So when we first heard about this, we kind of an inside angle that this was not going to be good. After ISE, I came back. I can't believe we were all at ISE. That yeah. was in what, February, right? This year. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Israelis were like, hey, wake up now. Don't go in the bill. And I was like, what? What do you mean? We're hearing some completely different reports in the US. Finally, when it came back and all the scientists started catching up to it, my father came in, actually did lectures here at Leon. He, 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 I never heard the word social distance. And he was, he made the first meeting. He made it a social distance meeting. This is before anybody was talking about that or wow. teaching you how viruses like this are transmitted. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out he was not only right, but you know, the, all the science was right that we, we do know how it's transmitted. And he spoke specifically how dangerous after we learned about how to respond to this, which was, you know, taking all the precautions we talk about, working on keeping everybody apart, all this, all this important information. We then learned later um, that COVID pneumonia was a really serious, serious problem, you know, and the part of your lungs that it's attacked, that it attacks. So my father actually did lectures for our dealers all throughout those early times of COVID when it was really freaky. Yeah. You know, and so especially hitting so hard in New York, like, I mean, we saw firsthand, we had people's friends and parents dying and, Nobody knew what to do. It was like serious times. It still is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt like having my father as a pilot was so important uh, during this time. And it's, and I still realize now, you know, when I wake up every single day, when I wake up here and healthy and everybody's around me, I'm good. Right. You know, you gain a lot of perspective during this Absolutely. time. I'm Absolutely. Super, I'm super blessed and happy to be here as a person. And obviously I love everything we do. I love what we do. And I get to work with my family still. So my dad like moved from New York around the block when I had my kids. So, uh, you know, um, it's great to have my whole family here too during this because a lot of people, they're not together. I know still, that's, that's the hardest part for a lot of us. Yeah. It sucks. Sure. It sucks. And I it feel does. so much, you know, just like back then it was the same. There's so much hardship, you know? Absolutely. Well, well, I, I, I don't want to end on a, on a note that we're all feeling right now, which is yeah. a, you know, a little bit of confusion and, and, and dismay, but you, you are doing something uh, coming up here called Leon Live. Can you uh, explain what your goals are there with this new channel and, and, and what, how you're going to premiere it? I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, that's the other side. I forgot all that. Right. Um, yeah, like this experience here, like face-to-face, -face, we've had the Leon Loft. You know, we have in our manufacturing facility, we have the Leon Loft, which you've been to. Yes. And so, you know, the thing I miss most is being able to have the artists and musicians and the people and all those moments that we shared, you know, that was such a big part of our identity and culture. Right. Seven years of live shows, you know, and most amazing artists. So one day I was like about halfway through this, I'm like, this is going to be going on for a while. So we decided to build a broadcast studio upstairs. Okay. 
and I've always wanted to take Leon live at scale, right? Like, how can we show people this world? It's hard to see what it means when we build a custom speaker for you every single day. Like, you know, hundreds of products being handcrafted. And so the vision is really to show what it's like at the factory okay. to do virtual walkthroughs and then to create a new Leon loft experience. So we finally got this whole rig built. We transformed the Leon loft into Leon live, which now has PTZ cameras, you know, uh, three, it'll have three special camera angles and position, all that can be done remote control. So we could patch in others, you know, full scale broadcast mm -hmm. capabilities and mixing boards, editing boards. Um, and we're kicking off the first show like next week. <laughs> and it is with uh, an amazing individual um, who just actually his this, this artist named young artist named Devin Gilfinian, who was a loft artist. Okay. During this time, I mean, the musicians talk about like transitional issue. Like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, their lives are completely upside down. He was one of the top touring artists, you know, no tour, no revenue stream. Mm. So they had a, they had a pivot as fast as everybody. And they do. And they did. They decided to record an album. They decided to record uh, what's going on front to back. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, Devin's also super politically active. You know, amidst COVID, of course, now you have a million other issues coming up, right? Um, that we need to address as well. Yeah, and social so issues. social, yeah, and, and they're serious. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But we the first the first kickoff of Leon will be releasing uh, talking to Devin first of all. You know, hopefully we'll get him get to hear him play a song. Talk to Devin um, from Nashville, and then we're actually going to release the song live on Facebook. Um, and other platforms like YouTube, but um, it's going to be a global release of that album that's syndicated by a group of other syndicates like us. Okay. So it'll nice. hit the market hard. And it's crazy because Rolling Stone, like the Rolling Stone top albums just came out and what's going on is number one. Oh my gosh. Just got, wow. So like, we're anticipating a lot and yeah. just like it was an opportunity and you know, were we ready? No. <laughs> are we ready? We, well, you got to be able to be ready when, when the opportunity arises. And so we're jumping. So yeah, we'll be recording next week. And so, yeah. Uh, so, so just to be clear on, on that, we're, we're probably going to be posting around that time. So it's October 1st. Is that correct? Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. great. So we'll definitely want to, want to help promote that and uh, check in when, when that goes live. Cause that sounds awesome. I love that album. It's Oh, yeah. It's timeless. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's like a time capsule, but it's timeless at the same time. It's just amazing. That's well said. Um, well, I, I really look forward to that. And I, it, it's been amazing catching up with you, Noah. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. Hey, thanks for listening. And uh, always great talking to you. You always bring out, you know, the deeper stories. <laughs> I don't expect to be talking about, uh, which is great. So I uh, appreciate everything you do, Jeremy, and hope you and yours are well. Also, thanks to everybody for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. And you can check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential, residential tech, 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 t